Hi, my name is Chanel Otley-Allen and you're listening to Caribbean Boot Stories. Welcome. There's never been a podcast that focuses on Caribbean women from all walks of life, narrating their journey of giving birth, navigating self-care postpartum and parenting across our beautiful region. Now there is. Caribbean Boot Stories is committed to providing a space for honest, non-judgmental conversations fostering a supportive community of listeners, inspired to share and act on the resources born out of every episode. Do enjoy. Good morning or good afternoon, wherever you are. It is with great excitement I introduce my next guest, Naima Muakil. Full disclosure, Naima and I attended the same high school in Trinidad and Tobago, Bishop Anstey High School. Despite being in the same year group, We were in different classes, she in 1B and I in 1C, separated by the first letters of our last name. Naima's transition into bishops was not an easy one, but like our school's motto, no reward without effort, she overcame. Naima willingly accepted to be a guest on this podcast to share her story. But her story probably isn't the most conventional story coming out of Trinidad and Tobago, simply because... Naima is a first-generation Muslim, born to parents who embraced Islam in the 1970s. In an article written by Naima, she states, I believe the most powerful words that a person can share are words from their lived experience, words that are close to their heart, in the hope that it resonates with others, end quote. I hope her story resonates with you. If you want to learn more about being a Muslim woman in the Caribbean, listen. If you want to learn more about being a mother of multiple children, listen. If you want to learn more about navigating postpartum, listen. So I'm going to just kind of go right into it, right, Naima? So I would love if you can just tell me how your journey to motherhood was. Would you say it was a smooth one? Oh, definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if not, why? Okay, um, well, my first pregnancy happened while I was at university. So, of course, um, it was not something that I planned for. Right. And, you know, but eventually, of course, I came to terms with it. And um, my family came around. At first, they were in shock, complete shock. Yes. Of course. <laughs> but they, um, they came around and they were extremely supportive. So, it did. But my my entry into motherhood was definitely quite challenging, you know, being yeah. in school, um, having to juggle, finishing my studies. I was in the middle of my program. Um, right. and, um, and you were in Cuba at the time or you were here? No, I was in Cuba. I was in Cuba. Okay. Yes. Studying my first degree. Right. Now tell me, um, did... Your journey, was your journey also impacted by the fact that you were Muslim, you think? Um, with my family, yes. But other than that, no. Okay. All right. And um, not knowing much about Islam, I will admit, are there any specific teachings that, you know, that are Islam specific to pregnancy and birthing or anything that, you know, you can share with us? Well, um, one of the things that I do know, it's relating to breastfeeding, that Mm -hmm. 
women are advised to breastfeed their babies for as long as they possibly can. Right. Um, it's advised two and a half years. Oh, wow. That's good. <laughs> it's not something that I was able to do, mm-hmm. but definitely it's something that is encouraged in our faith. Okay. Well, I'm happy to hear that. Yes. Now, tell me a little bit about, so you had your first baby in Cuba. Well, and, she wasn't born in Cuba. Oh, well, she wasn't born in Cuba. Okay. I was pregnant throughout, and I came back to Trinidad a couple months before my due date to have her. I was considering having her in Cuba, but a lot of people were telling me that being born in Cuba, and it would have been difficult for me to get her out of the country. Oh, yes. So, okay. So I opted to come back home. Okay. So how was that experience of giving birth? Um, in Trinidad, maybe, you know, you weren't necessarily ready to be, you know, giving birth at that point in time, but what was your experience like that first time? Okay. So while I was 24 years old, um, I came back home. I was living with my mom at the time. So the couple of months before I had her, um, you know, my mom was really supportive and helpful. I remember her buying a yoga ball for me and, you know, we practicing all the moves right. together you know, yes. to open up my boot canal and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had um, a friend who um, was also pregnant at the time. So we were able to sit and, you know, she would come over by my mom's house and we would talk. She was older than me, but right. she would talk, talk to me, you know, make me feel comfortable because I know it was a scary time. Mm-hmm. You know? Yes. Yeah, what what is going to happen and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so I spent the time with my mom before, so that was really nice. And oh. <coughs> I had the well, I had the baby at Mount Hope. Okay. So the my mom lives very close, so it was just a matter of you know just kind of almost going across the main road to get right. to the hospital. Okay. There's a difference between cultural and religious concepts um, where pregnancy and birthing are concerned. So coming from Trinidad and Tobago and being a Muslim woman in Trinidad, were there like differences of opinions from people or cultural expectations that you noted during your experience? I really didn't find any big difference okay in terms of my religious background versus being a trinidadian right okay me muslim women and you know other women it didn't matter what religion what background we kind of got the same advice and the same kinds of things that they would tell you and so i think it's more like of a trini thing right um, it didn't really matter too much. Okay. Okay. So what were some of the things that like typical Trini things that people said to you, <laughs> maybe while you were pregnant and just before you gave birth, what kind That's, of thing? I remember for my three pregnancies, I ate a lot of ice. I just had to eat ice. Right. And, um, one of my friends, he's a doctor and he, he told me it was a lack of something. I think it was iron. Iron, yeah. <laughs> and, um, 
But everybody kept telling me, oh, that means the baby's going to have a lot of hair. That baby's going to... But my, it was only my first daughter. She was born with a lot of hair, but the second two, mm-hmm. they were like almost bald. But I ate ice throughout. So I right. know that the ice thing wasn't... Yeah. No truth in that one. <laughs> um, were there things they told you to avoid or food activities, anything like that? Yeah, like not eat pepper because it would burn the baby, things like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Are you a pepper mouth? So like, did you, were you? No, no, you, no. I, oh. Well, like I find like for this, this last pregnancy, I was craving chow in the first trimester. So I right. was eating a lot of pepper, but I just like, I was just ignoring everybody because I'm like, you know, pepper is a fruit and it must have some vitamins and I, I don't <laughs> want to burn the baby. So. So any particular kind of chow you were enjoying or? Actually, I used to do like a medley mm-hmm. of all kinds of fruits and mix them up together. And yeah, yeah. that was my, sometimes I'd have that for breakfast. Oh that my gosh. <laughs> So for the listeners who may not know what chow is, what would you put in your chow? Okay, so I remember I was putting kiwis, Portugal, green apples, palm city, and then I put salt, um, Mm -hmm. pepper, some black pepper, and shadow berry. I was just going to ask you about garlic, yeah. Okay, sounds good. I'm not sure about breakfast, but it does sound good. No, that was so weird because uh, that wasn't normally me, but I would just be craving this chow at all hours of the day. <laughs> so, okay. So you mentioned that you've had three pregnant, well, three children. And can we extrapolate that you've had three pregnancies or you've had more? Okay. So what are the ages of your children? My eldest is 15. Mm-hmm. My middle baby is eight and mm-hmm. my last baby is she just turned nine months um on sunday oh wow congratulations and so you have three girls yes yes so i know everybody's probably thinking hmm, are you gonna go for the boy <laughs> <laughs> that was my last one i'm not going anymore Okay. Okay. So tell me about the mode of delivery for each one of them. Were they all vaginal delivery, C-section or mix? They were all vaginal deliveries. Okay. Um, so my first daughter, yeah, that was vaginal. My oh. second one, now between my first and my second daughter, I had an operation um, to remove an ovarian cyst. Right. So I got cut, looks like a bikini cut. Right. Like, like how you would have a cesarean section. Right. Mm-hmm. So the doctors would tell me if I wanted to have another child, I need to not wait too long and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, the, I had my second daughter on with one ovary because of the operation, they removed my right ovary because the cyst was so huge, they couldn't save the ovary. Oh. So my second, my, my second and third children, I had them with just one ovary. That's that's amazing. I was worried I wouldn't be able to get pregnant after that operation again, but I right. did. It, it um it took longer than mm-hmm. yeah. the first time. Mm-hmm. And um, what? So of the three pregnancies you've had, does one birth stand out to you the most? 
I would say definitely the first one. Let me see. <laughs> the, the first, my first two pregnancies, the labors were extremely long. Right. This one was the, was the worst. It was um, 30 hours of wow. labor. Mm-hmm. Um, my water broke and then I was just not dilating. It took, I went to the hospital. They sent me back. They said, you're not ready yet. Go back. That's when I was at my mom's house. Right. Yeah, we were on the ball. We were stretching. We were doing stuff. Went back again. You're not ready. So they sent me back twice. Okay. And the, the third time, well, they kept me. Um, so that really stood out for me, the, the long labor. And then the second pregnancy, the labor was 25 hours. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, so for the third one now, I was gearing up for, like, this extremely long labor. Right. And it literally took nine hours. And oh. I was so happy. I was like, what is this? I don't know. I prayed about it. I really, you know, was hoping that it, I didn't have to go through that again. And yes. Yeah, but I think my mental state for the first two pregnancies was much different than than my mental state for this for the last one, and I think that played a huge role in in reducing the time. I don't think I was mm-hmm. mentally in a really great place for those first two pregnancies, as well as you know some of the preparedness maybe wasn't there, and I felt. Well, now that I was so much older, it would have been worse, but it actually didn't turn out that bad. Right. So, but I wonder, like you said, if it's more of a mindset thing that this last time around, it wasn't as, you know, protracted as say the first two. Um, and so can you tell me how you were able to shift your mindset from maybe how it was for your first two pregnancies in preparation for this third one? Well, Were there things you did in particular? Yeah, I mean, as even when the, the first and second, there were things that I did that helped me prepare. But now I think before, you know, when I had my first baby, I don't know if YouTube was around, but... <laughs> YouTube now we have so many resources at our fingertips so I was able to actually subscribe to a couple channels on YouTube where um, and we're talking about how to prepare for birth and postpartum and stuff like that so and I was really taking notes and listening and you know it was it that really helped and I know like for the first two pregnancies I had them at public at the public hospital. So I had my first at Mount Hope. I had my second baby in Port of Spain. Right. Second, um, I tried to go the way of a water birth at Mama Toto. Mm-hmm. Because of my long labor, after 15 hours, they said we don't want to risk it. Um right. and wanted to they sent me to Port of Spain. Now they they came and they checked checked up on me. Right. Um, but they sent me there. And so for the first pregnancy, uh, for the first labor, for, um, birthing experience, my mom, my significant other, no one, no one was there. Right. The second, second one, you know, my, my husband was there at Mama Toto, but then when they sent me to the hospital, he couldn't go mm. because you had part of the clinic. And so okay. to be able to be in the room when, you, when your spouse is delivering. 
Well, for my third pregnancy, I decided to go private. Mm-hmm. And that, oh my gosh, that, yes, you have to pay. Yes, it's a lot of money. But I think that really made the difference because my mom was in the room with me. My husband was in the room with me for the whole time. My mom and my husband, they were holding my hand on each side while I'm pushing the baby out, you know, reassuring me. My mom was, I remember, wiping my my brow, you know, so they were right there. And I think that made the world of difference. I remember with my second baby, I was in the hospital bed alone there in labor. Mm. Yes, I, yes, I knew what to do, but it's almost as if my body just tensed up because I didn't have anybody around, no familiar faces. And I remember there was a nurse just sitting not too far from where my bed was um, at a desk. Mm-hmm. And I was moaning in pain and she didn't even come to say, well, what's going on? Are you okay? And it was really hurtful. Right. And I think because of, because of those types of experiences in the labor experience, um, your body kind of tense. So I, I feel like now looking back at it, it's almost like my body had a lot of stress dealing with and it just yeah. wasn't operating how it was supposed to. But with this last pregnancy, I could definitely say that having people who you love and who care about you around you at the moment of giving birth is really, really a magical experience. And I'm glad that at least for one of them, I was able to experience that. That's that's really touching. Like I got goosebumps listening to you just now. And it makes me think about, because your last baby would have been born during COVID and the lockdown period. So the fact, yeah, exactly. So the fact that you were able to have your family in with you during that period of time to offer that support made a huge difference. But what about all the women that are giving birth now during COVID where significant others may be allowed, some may not be, and then definitely not more than one support person is being allowed into into the rooms. So I just wonder how they're managing. Yeah, I was so happy that the um, the hospital officials allowed me to have my mom and my husband there. But of course, they had to wear masks all the time. Who was delivering me? She was wearing her mask, all the masks and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I I really feel it now for women who have to go through this alone. Yes. You know? yes. And one of the things that I've been thinking of is like even for women who aren't married, right, and who have to give birth in the public system, like if there was some kind of service that you could have people say, you know what, I'm volunteering my time, I... You know, they're yes, doula. Yes. Maybe women can't afford a doula, but they would need, they, you know, they, they want somebody and you volunteer your time to be with this person in their time, the time that they most need, you know, that comfort. And I, I wish that somebody would offer a service like that, you know. Yeah, that's a brilliant idea. And I will definitely take a note <laughs> because I think that that is so important. Um, because the birth experience is like no other. No one can prepare you for it. But having someone there to hold your hand is really, really critical. Now, I know that 
by the time you came around to your third baby, you would have been described as a woman in advanced gestational age. So you were over the age of 35, right? But would you say that having your baby after the age of 35 was different or was your pregnancy different compared to when you were, say, 24? Um, I have always had very easy pregnancies. I've just been lucky like that. Yes. Like, um, actually, my my second pregnancy, I put on the most weight and I actually physically looked a little different. Mm-hmm. But my pregnancies, I put on just the right amount of weight. Um, you know, some people, their skin gets really dark and their mm-hmm. faces get swollen and stuff like that. And, you know, there are a lot of hormonal changes and vomiting. And I never, ever have that. Oh, and lucky you. Last one, yeah, I never. I say maybe if I had a boy, it might have been, <laughs> might have been different. Yes. <laughs> but um, with, with my three pregnancies, they were absolutely fantastic. I really don't have any complaints. A little cool and, you know, feet now and then. Right. Mm. But nothing major. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about the actual booth. And I still want you to kind of signal, single out the that significant one for you. So maybe the last one since it's the most recent and maybe it was one of your better experiences. Um, tell me a little bit about your actual booth story. So I know it was nine hours in labor, but you know, what did you feel? How did you experience it, you know, this time around? Okay. Um, uh, my first daughter was born on the 14th of June. Okay. So um, this last um, daughter, she was due on the 12th. Oh. And I found that was so close together. And I was actually praying that it would come a little, like she would come a little earlier. Um, yeah. So I was actually hoping that she would come a little earlier. And um, so the night, the morning of the 7th of June, I started to feel, you know, pain and stuff. And then, you know, my water broke. So I told my husband, I think it's time to go to, you know, to call the doctor. So we did. And she said to organize myself and get to the hospital. Right. Um, So, of course, you know, you're prepared. Bag is packed and everything. So, yeah. So my... My bag was packed and I was, you know, we were ready to go. Had right. made plans for the other two. So they were going to stay by my mom until the whole thing was over. So, you know, we went in, we checked into the hospital. And the doctor, she came to see me. Um, and she said, okay, you're going good. And she said she has to leave to come back. But I didn't feel like she was abandoning me or anything. Because right. yeah. my husband was there. My mom was on the way. She said she was bringing stuff that I like to eat. And, you know, it was just a really pleasant experience. experience. Yeah. I was, like I was in a dream because I didn't have that for the other two. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't even think my husband or my mom realized how important it was for me, for them to be there, you know. Yeah. So, um, we got to the hospital about, after eight and um, yeah by one o'clock she was born at one thirty-one. okay so I was in labor and the doctor came back and I was pretty advanced but she said I wasn't ready yet but then within half an hour 
She checked again and she said, oh, you're ready. And I was completely shocked. They were wheeling me to the delivery room. And I was like, wait, where are the other 20 hours I'm supposed to be <laughs> <laughs> I was I was shocked and but I was happy of course. Of course, of course. Were you given any so just before you were discharged from the hospital, right? Did the doctors or nurses or anybody give you advice as to what you should do to take care of yourself now that you're leaving um and based on the delivery that you had? Were you given any advice? Yeah, so one of the things that happened to me that didn't happen with the other two pregnancies was that I had a lot of um, blood loss during okay. the delivery. Yeah. So after, when they were wheeling me out, I was like shaking. I was feeling extremely cold. Mm-hmm. And so they covered me up in blankets and so And I think they gave me some kind of trips. I don't know what it was. Right. Um, and yeah, so afterwards, the doctor explained to me what I needed to do to um, make sure that I heal properly. And, you know, one of the things she told me to do was not to lift anything. But, um, well, I love plants. And about three weeks into <laughs> having to do I went to the back. It was not a big pot. It was in a medium oh, size No, Naima. lifted it and I got immediately got a pain in the joint between my hip and my leg. Mm-hmm. I had to take for that, but I didn't listen. <laughs> I was even okay. And then I, yeah, so, but yeah, and then a nurse came and she was um, talking to me about breastfeeding and she showed me, helped me to, for the baby to latch and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, one of the things I would want to mention about breastfeeding mm-hmm. Um, for my first baby, I had no clue about breastfeeding. And I know my mom, she breastfed the three of us, my, myself and my siblings. Mm-hmm. She breastfed for a long time, for two years, all of us. Oh, wow. So it was something I knew I wanted to do, but I thought that it would just come natural. Like yes. you just put the baby there and the baby knows what to do. And you just, <laughs> and the baby could. I didn't realize it was such hard work. Mm-hmm. I realized something about my body that I didn't even know. I have inverted nipples. Right. Yes. I didn't even know that people had inverted nipples. I, I knew that I had nipples, but I didn't know right. it was like different from other And it was a whole thing. So when I had my first daughter, um, we went to a meeting. I, my mom and I went to a meeting, a Tibbs meeting. Right. At La Jolla. They had something. And um, the nurse, she, well, I showed her and she said, oh my, you have inverted nipples. And that was the first time I ever heard about it. Right. And then she said, oh, you have to do this and this and that. And then for my second pregnancy, I made sure and I told my, my doctor and she said, um, she gave me a tip, you know, to use a, a syringe and cut it before, before the baby is born put it over your nipple and kind of suck it, like pull it out, put, put like coconut oil or whatever and pull it, pull it, pull it so your nipple would come out. Okay. Right? I've never heard of that. Yeah. So, cause with my first daughter, one of the nipples kind of came out, but the other one stayed in. Right. So, so for this last pregnancy, I was trying to get that other one out. Mm-hmm. So it didn't work. And, um, it was, she, she never wanted to feed on that side. And then this side, 
Breastfeeding was just always a struggle for me. So now she's not breastfeeding anymore. She's she's nine months and she's not. It's not something that I wanted to have. I really thought that this this pregnancy I'll be able to breastfeed for much longer. Right. But it never, it never came like easy for me. And I'm glad you shared that because there are a lot of women um, who they experience that disappointment of not being able to breastfeed because we're told that that's natural and that's the natural way to feed our babies. And yes, our bodies were built for that, but there are many other factors that have to line up for it to be successful. And that's not what we're told. You know what I mean? So thank you for sharing that because I think that's very, very important that women out there know that if they're struggling, they're not alone in that struggle because it's very real, you know? um, Like with the inverted nipple thing, I don't know how many, like what the percentage of women have it, but I feel like we need to have like an inverted nipple support group. (laughs) Sounds like a good idea. (laughs) Even like girls, when you, when you do, when you're doing these um, puberty things with them in the school you right. could talk you could talk to people about their breasts as well because you grew up thinking that your breasts are like everyone else's and some people because I mean after I realized what I had then I um I started to do more research and I realized there are different levels to the inversion so you could have flat nipples you could have mm. extremely inverted nipples and then you could have just slightly inverted nipples. I actually think one of my nipples was inverted and the other one is, was flat, you know? Um, and nobody ever, t- I grew up like, you know, grew up and I had a baby and I didn't even realize my own body was right. a little different from other people. So I feel like you should talk to girls about these things even, you know, you talk to them about menstruation and stuff, but, you know, know your, your breasts. Body. Yeah. yeah who you are so correct correct now your postpartum period so you've had three pregnancies you've had three deliveries successfully and now you go home now when you're home now would you say that the experience was similar for all three were they different how did you manage during your postpartum period okay so definitely not similar (laughs) okay Um, my first daughter by the time she was she was three weeks when she got her passport because I had to go back to school right yes two and a half months and she was on a plane oh my god (laughs) I had no time to kind of enjoy that period then I was back school I had to find a babysitter for her during the day so she was with this Cuban babysitter they took care of her really well um, so you so had to was, take her to this place. The person didn't come home to you. No, but right. it was far from because I lived off campus with a family. Okay. And she, the person lived right down the street. So okay. I would drop off her there in the morning and then go to school. So that was for my first one. For the second baby, um, I went back out to work like four and a half months mm-hmm. after. Right back out to work so um I continued breastfeeding maybe for about three months after that so she breastfed for about seven months and then this third baby um when my maternity leave ended of course we were still in lockdown yes um so 
you know, we're working from home still. So I've I've had the pleasure, I guess, of being able to stay with her the longest. Yeah. So she's home with me. She's eight months. And, you know, I'm mostly what she knows. Sometimes she would stay with my mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And then I have one day where I have someone come over on a Friday to look after them so that I could get to go out and do whatever running around I need to do. But yeah. she's with she's with me most of the time you know so they're completely different experiences Mm -hmm. and would you say your recovery from your um delivery was easier as it went down the line or would you say you quickly it was harder (laughs) okay the first one I jumped back into school like if nothing happened I just I just remember having like in class and my breasts were leaking milk. <laughs> yes. Oh I just remember God. that. Um, the second one, you know, I went back out to work. Yeah, you know, things were all right, but like with this third one, and even now I still find, I look at myself in the mirror and I kind of don't recognize my body. <laughs> I was like, it took a, a harder tool on my body than when this okay. because I'm older, I guess. Yeah. Um, so, um, and because I'm working from home and the kids are home, we hardly going out much. So last month I decided that we needed to at least go walking somewhere. Yeah. Um, so we started two days a week just walking around the savannah, you know? Yeah. Exercising. But yeah, recuperating yeah, from this last one has been harder. Right. What I wanted to ask about just to go back a little bit to the breastfeeding, did you experience any type of like inflammation or mastitis as a result of not being able to empty the breast that um, had the inverted nipple? Did you experience anything like that? I remember with my first pregnancy, my breast got really swollen and hard. I remember my mom helping me with a comb, like a hot rag, and then a comb trying to get it down and eventually the blockage cleared. Right. It was really painful. I didn't have it for the uh, for the other two, but the first time. First one. What about cabbage? Because I've heard people talk about cabbage as well. I, I never use that. I just right. use like a warm rag. And a comb. Yeah. Okay. So um, just as we wrap up, I just wanted to know as a mother of multiple children, um, how do you feel now about your own physical health? I love my children. You know, I don't regret having my children. They are my world. But I always find that women leave um, leave themselves for last. Mm-hmm. You know, leave their care and their um, their nourishment, whether however it is spiritual, physical, for last. And I, I think that's true with me as well. You know, you, you spend so much time worrying about them and what they need, but you also forget that you have needs and you have. So it's almost like sometimes when you do take the time out to do something, you feel guilty to mm-hmm. do instead of doing something for them. So it's yeah. been a struggle to kind of move away from that mindset and try to um, to do more for myself. And in that way, know that if I'm okay, they'll, you know, they'll be okay. Yeah. It's a deep struggle. It's a, sometimes I don't eat because I'm dealing with this one. Now, and now that they have school at home, mm-hmm. uh, 
I have to make sure that everybody is okay. So if my my daughter has a lunch break from a certain time to a certain time, I have to make sure that lunch is ready so that she can go back to class. And sometimes during that time, the baby is up and fussing and I can't eat yet. And I have to make sure that she's okay and she has a bath and everything because I'm still trying to maintain a schedule with her Right. So that right. everything doesn't go haywire. So then when she gets then when she sleeps, then I then I can go and eat. So that might be two, three o'clock. Then I'm now having lunch. So, you know, it's a daily struggle. Um something I I came across recently and I realized that it was me. And I, I guess a lot of mothers struggle with it. Um I don't know the term they use, but it's almost as if um so I stay up late in the night and I do work. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, oh, they call this um revenge something. It's like you're trying to make up for all the time that right. you was away from you during the day. Mm-hmm. But then it's a bit destructive because you're not getting sleep. Exactly. So I find that I stay up and I say, okay, now I could respond to all my emails. Now I could do this report. Now I could do this, this, that. And then I find it's one a.m. in the morning, and I'm now going to bed. You know, and then. And you have to wake up. What time does the baby wake up? Wakes up at half six or seven, you know, and sometimes she'd wake up in between that. Right, right. Oh, oh yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, I guess it comes with the, with the territory, but... It doesn't make it any easier, though. So if you had to give an expectant mom now who's listening, what advice would you give to them? in preparation for the birth of their baby? I think um, one of the most important things that you have to come to terms with is that life is going to be different. You know, you have to understand that you before your baby wasn't, was the old you. And you now, it's the new you. And you are going to lose some things. But what, what I think what you gain is much more than what you would ever lose, you know. Yeah. And your your whole life, your whole way of thinking is just transformed and you see the world in a completely different way. And I think as a, you see the world in a more beautiful way, yes. you know, than, than before. Thank so, you. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you, you should, in preparation for having your baby, you should just understand that you're going to go through changes but just embrace the changes you know and and be happy about the life that you now have to celebrate you know and I, I want to just close off with a fun thing I've asked you to choose a song um that's representative of a journey of your journey of pregnancy, birth, delivery, what song just comes to mind? One of my favorite songs that I that I sing all the time, well, I love um, Lauren Hill and that song she has about Zion. Yes. That, that she talks about her boy and, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, there was a time in her career and she didn't, you know, people were telling her to give up her baby yes. and stuff so that's a song that um, that I that I really love. I love Lauren Hill on the whole, but that's a song that I always like. 
Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, if that if there's one song that's yeah, it would be that. It would be because that. Yeah, I remember when I was having my first baby, some of those same sentiments were expressed by others, you know, that's right. why now you're, you know, you're studying and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think even if you're married and you think all the ducks are in a row and everything, people will have their opinions about what you should and shouldn't be doing. And so but you have to be really true to yourself and know that um, this is the path that you chose and, and it's going to be okay. Yeah. Now we can't leave without you telling me a little bit about that beautiful painting behind you. Um, oh. that you did. So, is it a painting? Is it a drawing? What is it? Um, it's mixed media. So, it's paint and it's actually cloth. So, oh. I stuck cloth around the borders. Mm-hmm. So, I am, um, I am a curator. So, I work, I work with art collections in a museum, but oh. I also, my first love is art. So I do paint and draw um, when I get the time to do it. And so this in the back of me is one of my latest projects. Um, I'm just experimenting with cloth. Okay. It's beautiful. Um, my mom, she sews. So I take all her scraps and I always find ways to use them. So yeah. Yes. Yes. Recycle and reuse. I love it. So Naima, thank you so, so much for this really enlightening interview. Um, and I hope I'll, listeners and viewers take away something really precious from your story thank you for sharing and being so honest with us you're welcome thank you for having me (laughs) anytime okay bye. bye